The song you will hear in the following episode is This City by Patrick Stump and Lupe Fiasco, copyright 2011 by Sony ATV Publishing. All Cleveland Browns highlights that appear in this episode appear courtesy of the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. And when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. Up in the dog pound, man, I love my tribe, my calves, my browns. That's my heart, that's my soul. I'm from the Hello, home everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Feeling Dangerous Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Johnson. We got two of the crew on tonight. First up, we got Jack. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good, dude. It's humid outside. It's way too hot. I would completely agree with that, but hey, it is summer, but it's also Ohio. You just never know. And we also got Zach. How you doing tonight, Zach? Doing good, man. You know, another night of recording. Pump for it. Can't wait to get on with this one. Same here. And we are, everyone, we are joined tonight by a guest from the OBR draft analyst, Stephen Thomas. Stephen, how you doing tonight? Oh, living the dream, gentlemen. Good to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this one. I know we've been uh, trying to put together a time for like, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, three weeks or so, for maybe maybe a month. I'm glad it finally worked out. Yeah, we are too. We really appreciate your time tonight and a lot of pro- post-draft talk here. I absolutely love talking about the NFL draft. And we're going to get into it first with uh, Greg Newsom. Obviously, there's a lot to love about Greg Newsom's game. When it comes down to his yards allowed, he allowed only uh, 0.44 yards per coverage snap in 2020 via Pro Football Focus. But then also, you talk about just his athleticism, a, 90, a 94 uh, score there, and just his numbers overall at Northwestern. Very solid player. What is it you love about Greg Newsom's game and why he's a good fit for the Browns? Yeah, I mean, I think he was, uh, when you looked at, you know, realistic options at corner, he was the top of the heap as far as how many questions that he answered and how many questions he didn't leave unanswered. I mean, all the things you mentioned, and I, I don't have the stats in front of me 
a month ago, I would have known these off the top of my head, but uh, I think he only gave up one catch over 10 yards in the last two years or something like wow. that. It was just some crazy number like that. It mm -hmm. could have been, you know, not quite one. But yeah, I mean, everything that you mentioned, uh, the ball skills, the athleticism, the stickiness, the tenacity, the mental and the off-field part of the game is really important to me, especially at a position like corner. And from all the reports that I could find and from everything that we heard from the people that know these kinds of things, he is just at the top of that list as well. Well, loves to study film, uh, loves to get tendencies on uh, whoever he's going to match up this week. And yeah, maybe it's because he went to, you know, Northwestern, the Harvard of the Big Ten, but he loves to study. When you combine the studying that he apparently does with just his natural instincts, which you can see, he, he can anticipate a lot of what's coming his way. He You don't see him look lost or fooled very often. You hear the phrase, oh, he ran the route for the wide receiver on this rep. You hear that a lot in draft talk, and you see that a lot in his tape. And as far as you, you mentioned his athleticism, and of course, the, the raw athleticism scores and the individual drills, those are all important. But one of the things that I loved about him uh, from a physical standpoint were the hips. He has hips that when he does occasionally, and he does, everybody does, gets fooled or gets out of position, he can flip, like he can spin, like completely spin around and get back into phase and cover that ground faster than anybody really should be able to. His hips are, are pretty amazing. The change of direction that comes from those hips, when you combine it with his size and his length and his speed and his short ear quickness and his brain and everything else, it's just a fantastic combination of attributes and uh, the thing that i love that we've just learned in the otas and and since the coaches have met him after they picked him the coaches let out some things and you heard some stuff from his coaches at northwestern is that he just absolutely hates to lose like even one rep he if, if somebody he gets beat uh, apparently he turns into like the human incarnation of that of <laughs> michael jordan meme. you know i took that personally that's yeah like, like he literally gets pissed off if he gets beat one time and doesn't want to happen and i think that is a perfect fit for the culture and, and locker room that they're building uh in berea because this locker room holds themselves and each other more accountable than we've seen since probably all the way back to the Bernie days. Yeah, and, and get the feed off of that, the culture and everything. So do you believe that uh, Greg Newsome is going to come in here and just be a, an instant day one starter alongside uh, Denzel Ward? The short answer would be yes. I mean, if you pick somebody at 26 at a, you know, uh, position of need, which it was, that's the logical outcome of that. But the more accurate answer would be, I, I'm not sure if, you know, the term starter and, you know, quote unquote starter means the same thing that it did, mm -hmm. you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, especially in this defense, because from what we're seeing, uh, Joe Woods is, wants to put together guys that can you know, cover each other and they, they can come in and out and it's almost amoeba-like. So I think it will be very much a week-to-week -week matchup type thing as to who's technically out there for snap one and series one and technically the starter. But that being said, I think he's going to be given every opportunity to lock down you know, the, uh, the spot across from Denzel. It's going to be him or Greedy from yeah. everything that we've seen. And the good thing is that assuming Greedy comes back healthy and becomes the player that we all think he can be, whoever ends up taking that job, the other guy's going to be just right there. They got three lockdown corners. And we haven't even mentioned Troy Hill yet. Exactly, so, yeah. you know, uh, the upgrade in that defensive backfield that starts with him and the guy we're going to talk about next is just – it's going to be night and day from what we saw last year. Yeah, really no doubt about that. I, I really love the Greg Newsom pick. I think he's a great fit for what Joe Woods wants to do on defense. And with Greg Newsom, obviously, and with a lot of these prospects, we like to talk about, obviously, what we love about them. But what are some things – I mean, you're picking Greg Newsom at number 26. Obviously, he's not going to be – 
as polished as like, let's say uh, Patrick Sertain or even JC Horn, obviously guys we really wanted as well. But what is it, some things about Greg Newsom's game maybe that are a little bit of a concern at this point? Um, well, if you look at it from uh, the analytics standpoint, the simply the lack of games at the college level. I mean, I only played 21 games. Guys can be great for, you know, a couple dozen games and then fall off and the opposite can be true. So it's, it's kind of a small sample size, but apparently they liked what they saw. And he was ultra productive in those games. So uh, when he was on the field over the past three seasons, he, he did everything they wanted him to do. And that's the other thing that leads right. Is he's been dinged up a bit. He's missed some games, but none of them were like big medical flags. There were no surgeries or serious stuff like that. It was just, you know, nicks and dings and unfortunate timing things. And as I understand it, eight of those missed games the one year he was, he, uh, they were going to redshirt him and then some other guys got hurt. So he had to come back and play a few games. So it, it, technically, yeah, he missed those games, but you could make a case that he really didn't miss those eight games from his freshman year. As far as on the field, the only thing I really think that they need to work on, and I'm sure they, you know, they're smarter than I am. Uh, he can get a bit grabby uh, at times. He did draw more than his share of flags. But I have read from people around draft world who are much smarter than I am about breaking down defensive back play that it appears to just be over aggressive, youthful stuff and maybe a little bit of technique, like stuff he, he will either grow out of just naturally as he progresses into the league or that the coaches can study uh, or can coach uh, out of him. Um, now, you know, that being said, if he doesn't, if he continues to draw those kind of flags, he won't he won't be on the field much and he'll be out of the league soon. But mm -hmm. I don't think that this front office and this coaching staff would have used day one draft capital, which is a giant coin in your pocket on a guy that they didn't think could rather easily cut down on his on his uh, penalties and stuff. And the next guy that obviously we're going to get into here, we're all huge fans of this guy. I actually just got um, tax return back last weekend and I went out and bought his jersey uh, linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I couldn't I couldn't wait on it. Um, safety safety slash linebacker hybrid Jeremiah Awushu Koromoa. Obviously we took him in the second round and there's a lot to love about his game. He can he can put him on the defensive line. You can put him at linebacker. You can put him at safety. Where do you see JOK really fitting into this Browns defense? Well, first of all, I still I still can't believe he fell all the way to fifty two. It just yeah. it makes yeah it makes no sense whatsoever to me. Uh -huh. um, but as far as where they're going to use him, it I think that's the key. You have I, part of why he fell was that you know there was a it was a pretty deep draft and there was a lot of other teams that were a lot of other players that fit more naturally into a slot and there's a lot of coaches in DCs that have been doing it their way for mm -hmm. you know 10 15 35 years and they they just a guy like jok scares them they, they're not sure what to do with him because he's, he doesn't fit into their box and their system but i think that's the key to him i think he is the incarnation of the the modern second level of the nfl defense because like you said he can do so many things he's so unique i mean his coverage skills in the slot are almost corner like so when he's out there if you let's say you're running a package that has Denzel and Greedy and Greg Newsom and Troy Hill, but you also have JOK out there, in all sense and purposes, you've got five corners, five guys that can cover like a corner. And then you throw the upgrades in the safety room into there, and the difference in the defensive backfield is just going to be night and day. But as far as how he's going to fit, I think that's the key in that. And I've been trying to find a way to say this that doesn't, because this word has sort of a, 
a meaning that is not exactly what I mean, but they're going to let him freelance a bit. And I think you have to be comfortable with that. And there's a lot of coaches out there that are not uh, because I, I've been trying to think of a, a, a Troy Polamalu usage type of usage is what I see that he can uh, do. Not exactly. And that's not a player comp. I'm not saying mm -hmm. he's going to get a gold jacket. I'm just saying, if you remember, and I know all Browns fans do, that dude killed us from every angle of the field. I mean, he, you're like, he's a safety. Why the hell was he lined up in the A-gap over the center on that snap? And I think JOK has that type of versatility where, you know, they can, uh, like you said, they can bring him in and bring him as an extra fifth rusher because he's got some pass rush moves that some edges in the NFL don't have. His coverage skills that we've mentioned, he's good against the run. Uh, I don't think they will line him up in between the tackle boxes frequently. He can do it, but it's not his strength. He's better with a little bit of space around him. So I think the fact that he can do so many things, it will allow them to stay in a lot more base personnel because he can cover on this snap. And on the next snap, he can help you with your pass rush. And then on the next snap, he can stand next to Jacob Phillips and they can you know, be the run fits on the inside. He can do just about anything you ask him to do and do it at a high level. And his football IQ allows him to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, he, I mean, she's between him and John Johnson and, uh, you know, a couple of, and Anthony Walker. Uh, I mean, you've got multiple guys out there that could have the green dot. I think it's going to become a point where if he progresses the way we all think he can and the way the very, very, very early reports are saying that he's making strides, they're just not going to be able to keep him off the field. And that that's what my hope is because, like like Tyler said, we all loved him. And honestly, I'm shocked he made it out of the first round. Yeah, I know. We, we fed off it a little bit, but there was a report that came out about his heart conditions and maybe he wasn't medically cleared by all these teams. Do you think that's another reason why he slid so far in the draft, or do you think it was just because of the fit? I, I mean, I can't say. I mean, maybe there were – some NFL front offices that that weighed on them. But as I'm a Notre Dame guy, and I just I, – I seem to remember hearing about it a couple of years ago. So mm -hmm. it's not like it was a new – like it just popped up during his medical checks at the – at you know, they didn't have a combine, but the combine medical checks they made everybody do. It's not like it was brand new or anything. So I have a hard time believing that any NFL front office that did even a modicum of research on him would have been like, you know, surprised or whatever – um, I can't say for sure, but I think it really, really was more that you have to have a specific plan for him. A lot of places out there just didn't. And also, like I said, it was a, a really good draft day one and day two. There were a yeah. lot of guys. And so maybe they, there were teams out there in the third twenties and thirties and forties that said, okay, we have JOK and this other guy, you know, graded basically the same, but this other guy, we know exactly what to do with him. So we're not going to take a chance on JOK. I think that mm -hmm. had more to do with it than, than the heart condition. That's just, just me talking out, thinking out loud. I, I don't know if this is correlated or not. Isaiah Simmons was obviously drafted last year by the Cardinals mm -hmm. number eight mm -hmm. overall. Do you think maybe that teams saw that Arizona wasn't really using Isaiah Simmons and really maximizing his full potential? And that was possibly a reason they stayed away from JOK because a lot of these teams couldn't, really picture where he would fit in their defense. Do you think that had something to do with it too? It might have. I mean, cause yeah, they, it was such a waste, man. God, uh, you get, you got a guy like that. You got to figure out how to use him. That's what we're talking about. You mm -hmm. have to have a specific plan for a guy like Isaiah Simmons. I think personally, JOK as a prospect, I'm not talking about, you know, after a year in the league for uh, Simmons, cause uh, to be honest, I didn't watch him that much last year and study him. Yeah. 
But mm-hmm. as a prospect, I think JOK was a much better football player Absolutely, uh, yeah. than Isaiah Simmons. Now, Isaiah Simmons, I think, was a much better athlete, and I think the testing proved that out. Not that JOK is a bad athlete. He's a great athlete, but Isaiah Simmons is just ridiculous. But I think he was allowed to freelance too much at Clemson in that he never really learned to the level that he needed anyway. Uh, the specific skills and responsibilities of all these positions that he was supposed to be able to play, whereas JOK understands them and does them all at a high level. That, that's what I think the difference is there. But could teams have looked at that? It's possible. It's, uh, certainly it could have. But by the same token, you could say Jeremy Chin. They, they used him well last year, you know, um, and so maybe you could say that teams, well, here's a bad example and here's a good example. And you know, then they decided not to get him. But uh, I think more than anything, all these things probably played a factor maybe, but I think more than anything, it was just that he doesn't fit a box. And a lot of people don't know what to do with that because they're set in their ways at the NFL level. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you think JOK comes in here and can be a starter right from day one with this defense? Or do you think it's just going to depend on how Joe Woods wants to line up with his base package? I mean, because obviously we brought in Anthony Walker. Jacob Phillips is showing a lot of potential. I mean, do you mm. think JOK comes in and can start from starts from day one, or do you think they try and work him in just given um, everywhere that he's going to play on the field? Um, I think it's probably the same type of situation as we talked about with Newsom a few minutes ago. Um, what is a starter? I, you know, I don't really know, but the fact that he can do so many things and can take the pressure off certain other guys in various packages at different spots on the field gives him, like I said, he's going to be given every chance to be on the field for snap one. And it'll be, it'll be one of those, it's his gig to lose type of situations. But I also think, like I said before, if any of what we're hearing in OTAs and OTAs is, you know, helmets and shorts. I mean, people are wildly overreacting to this. Let's at least let them put on pads for a week, <laughs> you know, before, <laughs> before we start dis- deciding what a guy's career is going to look like. But from watching him at Notre Dame and seeing how he handled the draft process, he's got such a great head on his shoulders. He understands not only where he is supposed to be, but where all of his teammates are supposed to be and why, like his football IQ is off the charts. If he's even remotely close to what we're hearing, it's going to be really difficult to keep him off the field because he can just give you so much in so many ways. The thing, he, the only thing that we have that he has to work on, in my opinion, the missed tackle rate is a little higher than you would typically like. But I, I will say this, and, and Jake Burns turned me on to this um, when we were studying the film during the process. Uh, and this is not meant to be an excuse. You miss a tackle, you miss a tackle. But on mm-hmm. film, a decent amount of his misses came when he was trying to deliver like a, a big blow, a, cause a turnover because he knew, like he anticipated a play and he was five, seven yards deep in the backfield and he would drop his shoulder and try to just bury a guy to maybe get mm-hmm. him fumble or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he would only do that when he knew, like I just said about his football IQ, he knows where everybody else is. He knows in his head, I'm seven yards deep. That means so-and-so and so-and-so are right behind me. I've got coverage so that if, if I don't knock this guy out, they're still going to make the tackle. So a good number of his missed tackles where he missed a tackle, you know, five yards, six yards deep, the play was still beaten for a three yard loss because the guys cleaned it up behind him. Yeah. Very, not very, very few, I would say, of his missed tackles came in space where he was the last line of defense because, again, he knows he, he's in that situation. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. shit, I'm, I'm last guy, so I can't make a big time play here. I just got to break down and we'll, we'll live to another day and I'm going to make this stop here. So, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, 15% or 14.8 or whatever it was, that's higher than you'd like to see. So that's something he's got to work on. And now, obviously, our third round pick here, and a guy who I'm very intrigued with. There were some Browns fans that kind of questioned this pick, just given the talent that was still on the board at the time. Um, at wide receiver, what did you? How did you feel about the Browns taking Anthony Schwartz in the third round when they did, compared to some other receivers who had a little more proven track record as far as just the reliability? Because obviously with Schwartz, he does have an issue with drops. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There were a lot of guys, uh, and this is has been the case for a few years, and appears to be the case going forward. Uh, a lot of wide receivers. This is a wide receiver deep draft is going to become commonplace from now on, just because there's so much more. We know so much more about training and 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 nutrition and every these guys are getting in shape and getting in great shape at a younger and younger age. Um, you could have made the case for half a dozen receivers in that range, um, but I had no problem with Schwartz. And he does drop the he does have a few drops, um, but he was also and again this is not to make an excuse. You drop a ball, you drop a ball. But he wasn't playing in a wide receiver friendly scheme. Uh, will be very kind and say he dealt with erratic quarterback play. He, he, he's he got things to work on. But there were also, if you if you dig into his film, there were a bunch of times where he was wide open and the ball either sailed, you know, 10 yards over his head or was uh, short, so he had to slow up and let the coverage catch up. So there was a lot of production that was left on the field for him that was just entirely not his fault. But but as far as what I liked about it and how, I, how you can justify it, I like that they have a specific plan for this off for the team, but specifically for this offense. And they're bringing in guys to fill specific roles. You know, I, I've said this on numerous pods in the past, and people who listen to me a lot probably are sick of hearing it. But it, it reminds me of there's a line from the movie Miracle where he says, "I'm not looking for the best players; I'm looking for the right." And that's the way I think they're looking at it. It's you know, kind of a pseudo the Patriot way. Um, for decades, people have said, you know, how does Belichick get such great wide receiver play from so-and-so when he sucked everywhere else? Well, because he brings him in to run the three routes that he can run really well, and that's all he asks him to do. So when you need deep speed, as has been discussed ad nauseum uh, in uh, in Brown's Twitter and places, yeah. I mean, we, have, we have talked it to freaking death, haven't we? Um, but uh, when you need that, it's hard to go wrong bringing in a guy who has literal Olympic speed. Yeah, I mean, you think about him, and if Odell comes back and is is you know most of Odell, think about those two guys dragging you know a corner and a deep help safety with them 30, 35 yards down the field, and then think of the room that that Jarvis and Njoku and Higgins and all those guys are going to have to operate in that ten to fifteen yard area, or, or or this is the one that really makes me interesting. Think about. Schwartz, you know, let's say he's lined up on the right side and he drags his guy in a safety 40 yards downfield and then Baker dumps it to Nick on a wheel route out of the backfield at the right. Yeah. And now instead of four guys within three yards of Nick, and if we all remember, he made him he made four of them miss all the yeah, time. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now think about there's just one dude out there and he's a linebacker up against Nick Chubb. I mean, you don't have to throw the ball 40 yards down the field to get a 40-yard play out of the pass game. And I think that's mm – -hmm. That's one of the things that Schwartz is going to be able to help them unlock. Um, I mean, at an absolute minimum, as far as his direct contributions to the stat sheet, screens, bubble screens, um, jet sweeps, because of all the, the inconsistencies that we talked about in the offense at Auburn, they got creative down there to get ball in his hands. So he has experience at running a lot of that jet motion and the orbit motion and timing that he knows how to time it already. 
um, you know, that that handoff to Jarvis that they like to do, that speed handoff that they like. I, I love Jarvis, but imagine running that same play with a guy that has Olympic speed. I mean, it's the things that you can't teach speed, and the thing that speed of his level can open up simply by being on the field, even if he doesn't get the ball. It, it's pretty exciting when you compare it to what this team did offensively with basically no windows to throw into the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Schwartz is really going to add a dimension to this team that, quite frankly, outside of OBJ, and really we haven't even gotten to see it a lot with OBJ, yeah, that yeah. the Browns really just haven't had to yep. this point. And there's going to be a lot of competition in that wide receiver room. Who do you think right now is going to be the odd man out? I mean, because the Browns love to run a lot of 12 personnel in Kevin Stefanski's offense. So there's going to be some guys that are definitely going to be left out here. Who do you think are some guys on the outside looking in right now? Um, wow. Well, I mean, obviously it comes, it'll come out of camp. Um, you know, whoever, whoever wins the job in camp and, and what's great about this coaching staff in front offices, when they say that it's not just noise, they actually mean it. If, you know, Derek Willies comes out of nowhere and, and is mm -hmm. the best wide receiver in camp, Derek Willies will see the damn field all the time. We know yep. that. Yeah, um, sure. but that being said, realistically speaking, um, you know, uh, Odell's going to be on the field. A lot. Jarvis is going to be on the field a lot. Um, everybody else is probably going to be package specific. I will say this, though. I had a conversation with Jake and, I, you know, I know I keep bringing him up, but he's just one of the smartest film guys I know. And he teaches me something every time. Yeah, I Jake, Jake is awesome. Uh, and he said he wasn't sure how much of that uh, of the 12 heavy stuff was simply due to the fact that, like you said, we didn't have a threatening, you know, yeah. deep. We, we didn't have the personnel to run anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so you go with what's working and what you can do at a winning level. So now that they have, like you said, too many guys, I mean, really there's, I mean, Kaderil Hodge, people are really under underrating that guy. Yeah. I, mean, I love Kaderil Hodge. If he can come back healthy and that's the key with the guy coming off, you know, uh, surgery like that, he was very fast, much faster than people gave him credit for very smart route runner and had great hands. So, I, I mean, him and DPJ and Higgins, I mean, they're all NFL level wide receiver three level guys. And probably two of them are just not going to see the field hardly at all, barring injuries. It's it's a nice problem to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really is. It, outside of JOK now, Anthony Schwartz and Greg Newsom. Outside of the top three picks that we have, who do you see outside of those three getting a decent amount of playing time this year? Well, I think just because of the numbers situation on the defensive line, Tommy Togiai and even Marvin Wilson have a real opportunity uh, to gain uh, heavy rotational stuff on the inside uh, because they both have skill sets and body types and sizes um, that when you consider the edges that we're going to be running out there with them, they're perfect fits. Um, so they will have every opportunity to gain um, a lot of snaps. I, I would love to say Dimitrik Felton um, or Tony Fields, but I just don't see, again, with Dimitrik, I, I mean, look at the backfield. He's trying to fight his way into. And, yes, he'll, he'll get some snaps at slot, but we just talked about there's no room out at slot either. So barring injuries or something, I don't know that anybody else outside of those defensive linemen is going to get a ton of snaps. I think they'll all see the field enough so that we can evaluate them. Dimitrik Felton uh, will be battling Dearness Johnson for the kick return. Uh, a game as far as I can tell they may he's a, he's the kind of guy you create 
packages and plays for on the goal line and in the red zone because he's so shifty in short areas. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that might be a place where Demetric Felton uh, can find his way onto the field. But other than that, you know, these guys, like you say, with every year with day three picks, you better play special teams and you better do it hard um, because that's how you can earn an NFL level paycheck for a decade, even if you never crack the starting lineup anywhere. So I, I guess it's kind of a cop out to say the next pick after the top three, but uh, probably Tommy Togiai would be uh, uh, would be my guess for the guy that gets the most snaps just from an organic standpoint. I'm glad you mentioned Demetric Felton. I'm a huge fan of Demetric Felton, and we mm-hmm. had um, Jake on a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about how he could see Demetric Felton as possibly replacing Kareem Hunt down the line. Um, mm-hmm. When Kareem ha- yeah. contract comes up, I mm-hmm. think that could be a very good move there. And also with Felton, because when you watch him on film, I mean, this guy has a lot of talent. Is it just his test scores, you think, at this point, that that's the m- main reason that he probably slid? I think it, it was, yeah, because the, the testing day, it was, it was like the complete opposite of everybody else's testing this year. I mean, how many jokes did we all make about everybody's, somebody's going to run a 3640 here pretty soon because the, <laughs> the times were just silly all over the place. And then he went out and looked, I mean, frankly, had numbers like it was me in his uniform out there. It was, it was just bizarre. <laughs> and I remember having conversations and, and just looking at it and going, that just doesn't match the film. What happened that day? I, so I think it was probably a combination of that. And I mean, let's be honest, he's 5'8", and you know what? I think they list him at 205. I think he's probably 205 soaking wet with a, a, a pocket full of nickels or whatever they, <laughs> whatever they list him at. He's, a, he's not huge, you know, and this is the NFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, if you're 5'8", and talking about lining up a wide receiver, a good portion of your snaps, again, like we said with JOK, there's a lot of coordinators and coaches out there that, that doesn't fit my box, so I'm not taking this guy, at least not before the sixth round, which is where we snagged him. Do you think Felton could potentially just be another wide receiver, too, in this offense for the first few years while we have Hunt? I know he's been training a lot with the wide receivers. I mean, he might get the majority of his snaps there, but, I, yeah. I, you know, again, like we just said, where are a lot of snaps going to come from out there unless somebody's hurt? I mean, there's yeah, just – Yeah, exactly, yeah. Not only at wide receiver, but, you know, wide receiver is one of a couple spots where it's it's – very obvious. We are going to be cutting people at the end of camp. A lot of people that will, are eminently rosterable. We're, we have too many guys. We have too many NFL NFL level players, which is a nice change from you know five years ago, where that we were watching the waiver wire. You know, going we, we need we need to find a starting right guard. We need to find a second wide receiver. You know, and this he's got to come in and start eight days from now. You know, because we had we had nobody, and now we're cutting probably you know six or eight guys that'll go someplace else and get significant snaps it's again rich team problems nice problems yeah, to have. exactly great problems mm-hmm. to have hey don't don't forget uh, also just bringing in thaddeus lewis the, the week of a game so he can start for us <laughs> man we have been through some shit haven't we I, mean, god. So I brought up last week the kenny Britt situation oh god the oh, kenny yeah. Britt situation please <laughs> don't. and then we talk ourselves into it we're like you know what yeah. i I remember that game four years ago for Seattle where he had 104 yards. I think he can come in and take us to the playoff. You know, <laughs> God. Oh, and then, shit. And then, we've talked and then, and then it comes out, oh, yeah, he, he wanted a private jet over to, over to England for the England game. Oh, God. Oh, man. It de- de- definitely. Uh, it's nice to see that things are finally starting to go, go our way for sure. And I love – 
really just this next topic right here. It's obviously very early, and the Browns are going to have uh, needs, obviously, in 2022. And a big one that I really think about here is the wide receiver room. People don't like to talk about it. Um, You get ridiculed on Twitter if you ever really bring it up about the possibility of OBJ or Juice not being here in 2022. But we're going to assume for this exercise that one of them is gone. Who are some wide receivers you think the Browns um, could end up taking a look at in the draft? Because this wide receiver class is, one, like you said again, there's it's very talented. Yeah, there's a ton of guys, and you know, much like we do every year, you know, some of the guys we think are guaranteed day one right now will fall to day three or may not even declare, and then there will be, I guarantee you, two or three guys that we have never even heard of right now who by the middle of November, we are saying we got to trade everything up to move up and get. Um, but as it stands at this moment, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, right out of the gate for Ohio people, the two Ohio State guys, uh, Olave and Garrett Wilson. I mean, how can you not have your eyes on those two guys? Um, the skill set for both. It's just fantastic um, for both of them. And the sky is the limit. Uh, Trail on Burks down in Arkansas has got a lot of attention. It'll be fascinating to see how Justin Ross returns from his neck surgery at Clemson, because if he can become what he was before he got hurt, that dude could flat out play. Drake London at USC is a guy who's very young. He'll only be 20 at the time of the draft next year, which as we have learned, Man. fits this, the, yep. this front office. Mm-hmm. People yelled at me for months, uh, the age guard real stupid, the age guard real stupid. Well, they continue to graft guys that are 20, 21 and super athletic. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you can yell at me all you want. I'm not the one <laughs> making the picks. You know, it's, <laughs> I'm just going by what happens, you know. So Drake yeah. London is a guy we should probably keep our eyes on at least early. Same with Mechie uh, down at Alabama. Guy I really like who hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but his quarterback is, and I think therefore – um, he will uh, uh, sort of draft on that as Romeo Dubes out at Nevada. Uh, right now, most places have him mid to late day two. I think he is an absolute stud. He's big. He's fast. Uh, he's quick. He's got a, a pretty good understanding of route concepts already, although Nevada just sends him deep a lot because he has this ability to just beat people off the line and get down the field. Um and from everything that I've read, the coaches out there at Nevada, they call they say wide receivers can be divas. They call Dubes the anti-diva because he's quiet, studious. He does his job. He's kind of like Nick Chubb, you know, not flashy. I scored. Okay, here's the ball. Let's go do it again. You know, he's that kind of a guy. He's a guy that I really, really like. Um, so there's there's a few names to, to put on your early watch list uh, as mm-hmm. summer rolls on and then as the college season gets off, sort of see which ones take off and which ones don't, and, and we'll go from there. I absolutely love talking about the Ohio State wide receivers for sure, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. Obviously, they're both uh, built a little bit differently. Is there one – obviously, again, it is really early. Is there one that you th- – think has would fit better with this offense compared to the other or are they both just really good players (laughs) yeah what do you like ice cream or ice cream Um, (laughs) yeah there's no wrong answer really i right now olave probably has more uh, you know more has a bigger sample size down uh, Mm -hmm. but wilson he's got some pretty amazing highs Um, so i think if he can build on that and you know, take the next step. Um, I I think Wilson might have a little bit higher ceiling, but I, you know, I, you can't go wrong. I mean, you just can't go wrong. I mean, either one of them, I think, 
And I think, like we said before about they're bringing in specific guys for specific roles, whichever one you bring in, Kevin Stefanski will look at their skill set and go, okay, you fit here. And so these are the eight things you're going to do as a rookie. And then you're going to learn these other things for two or three years down the road. But you per fit perfectly with what you already do in such and such a package running such and such a routes. And that's what they'll, that's what they'll do. You know, this is a coaching staff that it sounds overly simplified, but there's a lot of them that for some reason just don't do it. Find what your guys do well and put them in a position to do it over and over and over and over and over. That's leadership. Put your people in a position to succeed. Mm -hmm. And so whichever one, if, if they happen to end up with one of those two, whatever he does well as a prospect, that's what he'll do a lot of as a rookie. Whatever he still needs to work on, he won't do that a lot as a rookie. Sounds like I said, sounds overly simplified and stupid, mm -hmm. but a lot of places don't do that with their guys. And something I was I was kind of curious about this. I don't know if maybe you were surprised as well to see Chris Olave actually return for a senior year. It seemed mm. like in mock drafts he was projected as a second. I mean, a high second round pick. Even sometimes at the end of the first, were you a little surprised that he did decide to return to school for a senior year? I think we all were, weren't we? weren't we? And I get the fact that it was a deep draft and pretty heavy at the top, especially in day two. There were just a ton of day two guys. There were there were guys picked day three, early day three, that easily had day two grades. Mm -hmm. oh, uh, yeah. So when you look at that, maybe you think to yourself, oh, you know, I could go anywhere from the late first to the early third, and that's a difference of, you know, X number of dollars or whatever it happens to be. Or, you know, maybe he just promised his mommy he's going to finish his degree. I, you know, there's so many different things that go into these guys' decisions, and they're just kids, you know? Mm -hmm. It's easy to forget that. These guys are 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. Let them have their college experience. But, yeah, I was a little surprised from a draft standpoint. Coming out this next year, is it going to be another loaded wide receiver class? Probably. So, you know, if he doesn't do anything to improve his game, he'd probably be back in the same position where he could go anywhere from late first to – you know, mid to late second, you know, I, as long as he doesn't get hurt, I don't think he hurt himself at all. Mm -hmm. As far as draft standpoint, it's just one less year of earnings. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And again, uh, Steven, we really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day to join us tonight. And we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to let everyone know where they can find your content. Pretty easy. I have, uh, I have all, virtually no life. So you can find me on Twitter most <laughs> of the time. As Jack knows, um, uh, just at Browns Mock Draft on Twitter. Everything is on the OBR uh, that I do, the OBR.com. Please go and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Uh, Barry will hit me with a shovel if I don't say that, so I have to say that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, as far as my comedy stuff, that's everywhere. Uh, it's on Pandora. It's on Apple Music. It's on, you know, Spotify. It's on, you know, whatever streaming service you have. You Look up Stephen Thomas Comedy. You can find that. But as far as the football stuff, at Browns Mock Draft and the OBR is the best places to find. Awesome. You got you guys heard it first. The really good uh, draft content um, with Mr. Brown's Daily Mock Draft. And thank you guys so much for turning in this episode. I want to remind you guys, be sure to listen to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review. Also, be sure to follow our new Instagram page that we just started about two weeks ago. Um, also, don't forget to like our new Facebook page. And we want to remind you guys today, we put out a tweet just recently, but we want to remind you again. Remember, follow us on Twitter at FDPodcastCLE. And once we get to 2,000 followers, we'll be giving away a Browns jersey. We are the Feeling Dangerous Podcast, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in. My city was a threat to the rest. Cleveland is my city.
James Conner in the backfield on the right side of Big Ben. Motion by the tight end. McDonald down the line, left to right. And the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben. All the way back to the two, to the one. And the Browns have it in the end zone. And they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown. Carl Joseph's got it in the end zone. A touchdown. Not a bad start. Six-nothing Browns. Marquise Bouncy just sailed the ball over the head of Big Ben, who looked at James Conner. They raced back towards inside the five-yard line. It went into the end zone. B.J. Goodson and Carl Joseph were over there, and Joseph recovers it. Field under center on first down and 10. Takes the ball, gives it. Hunt runs. He's to the 10. He's to the 5. He buries that shoulder and drives in for a touchdown. Kareem Hunt and the Browns lead 20 to nothing. You're on Cleveland bound. That's my town where they show you love it. They seen you around. All of my dogs up in the dog pound. Man, I love my tribe, my calves, my Browns. That's my heart. That's my soul.